Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Our reading today comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We are looking at the birth narrative of Christ in these readings and in these studies. And today we come to one that's very familiar. You hear it read a lot around Christmas. But there's a lot going on in this passage. And as you read through this with me and you listen to it, I want you to realize that Luke, who writes the Gospel of Luke, also writes the book of Acts. So think that Luke and Acts are two volumes set. In Luke, we're going to get introductions uh, to the gospel, introductions to who Jesus is. And then in Acts, we're going to see the work of the church being powered by the Holy Spirit. So we're going to come back to that thought in a minute. We're going to look at how the book of Acts ends and also how the book of Luke begins. And I think this is intentional. Now, when I say intentional, what I don't want you to, to hear me say is that somehow these stories were invented and Luke just put this stuff in here to give it symmetry. You know, all these things are historical, real events. They really did happen, but the author of the book of Luke, Luke himself, is selective in what he picks. So in some ways, in a mysterious way, the Holy Spirit's working through all this and shaping this process. But Luke is choosing certain things to put into his gospel. We know the gospel of John told us that if everything Jesus did was written down, there wouldn't be enough room to hold uh, the books that it would take to to write those things. So we know that we have true information about Jesus. We just don't have exhaustive information about every detail of his life. And we need to be okay with that as Christians and realize that God tells us what we need to know. Uh, so these are things that God, in his infinite wisdom, says that, or believes that we as Christians should know about the life of Christ. So let's begin with this introduction to the birth narrative of Jesus. Now we know already We've had appearances of angels announcing to Mary that she is going to be with child. And the child that she's going to have is going to be from the Holy Spirit, this miraculous virgin birth. Now we get this decree from a great leader. In those days, a decree went from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, we have a lot of things condensed that we pick up in, in greater detail in the book of Matthew. So you could read Matthew's uh, parallel version of this story and get a little bit more detail about what happens in this birth narrative. So when you look at the synoptic gospels, in particular, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you get details filled in. Now, take Mark off the table. Mark begins right with the ministry of Jesus. So really, it's Matthew and Luke, if you want to know about the birth narrative of Jesus, you can read those two books and you get all the, the details filled in. So in this account, we have a decree that goes out from Caesar Augustus. Now, Augustus Caesar is, was also known, known as Octavian. He was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Remember, Julius Caesar was killed on the Ides of March. There was this war between Mark Anthony and Cleopatra and Augustus to, to take control of the Roman Empire. Augustus takes over. Augustus gives us what's called the Pax Romana. 
the peace of Rome. So he had a very peaceful reign. And, and many would say that Augustus was a good Caesar. If you're going to rate Caesars, Augustus was one of the better Caesars and rulers of the Roman Empire. So a census is a big deal. I mean, if you're a ruler of a territory, you want to know your your citizenry. You want to know how many people you have. And really, you want to know, you know, for tax purposes. Uh, so he wants to know uh, his kingdom and, and what he's ruling over. So this census goes out. Now, think of other places where we've had decrees come out from powerful world rulers. It tends to be in Scripture a lot of times there's a powerful ruler and God's people are living under that ruler. Think of the decree of Cyrus back in the time of Daniel, the exile. They're sent back from exile, and it's a, a decree from Cyrus that sends them home. So another decree coming from another king is sending them back to their hometown. So there could be some connection there. We're not sure, but it is an interesting thought that you have this world leader sending out a decree, and now God's people are returning back to where they came from. Joseph, uh, being of the house of David, that's very important. That right now connects us back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. In 2 Samuel 7, we have this prophecy made to David that one from his house will sit on the throne of Israel forever. We also have some psalms at this point that become very important. Psalms about the resurrection and, and other very important psalms that look forward to the coming of the Messiah. So this idea of the Davidic king is very important. So he's going to leave from Galilee, go back home to the city of Bethlehem. We know this is a poor couple already from the sacrifice that they gave in the temple. They don't have a lot of money. You know, we have these pictures of Mary riding a donkey while she's very pregnant. Could be she walked the whole way. And that is a long trip that would take days to go from Galilee to Bethlehem. Now, what's interesting, once they get to Bethlehem, this name Bethlehem, literally means the city of bread. And that's interesting, isn't it? The city of bread. So the bread of life will be born in this city of bread, or really not city of bread. Let me take that back. Actually, if you want to be technical, the house of bread. Um, so the house of bread is what Bethlehem uh, means. So we have the bread from heaven. Jesus tells us in John 6, he is the manna. He is the bread that comes from heaven. So he will come to the house of bread and he will be in a manger and a feeding trough. Uh, you can't make this kind of stuff up. So the bread of life will come to the house of bread and he will be born in a feeding trough. He is there. There's all the symbolism that his body will be offered up for us. So right there in the very beginning, we get this picture just in the, the word Bethlehem and the fact that he's born in a feeding trough, that he came to be a sacrifice for us. His body will be offered up on our behalf. His body will become, in a, in a sense, food. Uh, this manna that comes to us from heaven that gives us eternal life. Very significant. But I want to come back to this idea of Augustus Caesar. He is the one that decrees this coming home. And I want you to think, how does Acts end? And if you turn to the book of Acts and you look at the very ending of the book of Acts, I want you just to think for a minute. A little trivia here. How does the book of Acts end? Who is the main character and where is he? Maybe you remember the Apostle Paul. He had been arrested. Jerusalem, there was this plot to kill him. And so he appeals to Caesar and he's sent to Rome to appear before Caesar. And I think it's really interesting as you look, like, for example, in Acts 26, 
verse 32, you know, Agrippa says, well, I would have released this guy, but he's appealed to Caesar. So they've got to send him on to, to Rome. So where does Paul end his life and how does he end it? Well, Paul ends his life in Rome, more than likely. He is in the hands of the Romans. He's under house arrest with the Romans. But I want you to understand, listen to this last verse in the book of Acts. Talking about Paul, it says, Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, this will be another Caesar. More than likely, I believe Claudius would have been Caesar at this point. But you've got... Augustus issuing this decree. Jesus is born in this remote, you know, to the Romans, a backwater village, Bethlehem, in some remote recalcitrant province. And this story will end right in the seat of imperial power with the gospel of the kingdom being preached. And the early Christians are going to make the most political statement of all. They're going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, at that time, people said that Augustus Caesar is Lord. They even had a celebration of Advent, the Advent of Augustus Caesar. There was a saying that the Romans had that was, "No, uh, men cannot be saved by any other name but Augustus Caesar. Now that sounds very familiar to Acts chapter 4, doesn't it? There's no name under heaven which men can be saved but Jesus Christ. The true Savior, the true ruler of the world is being born. And the Romans have no idea what's going on. So I think it's really cool how Luke begins his story. This Roman ruler issues a decree. And so Jesus has to go to Bethlehem. That's where he's born. And then it ends with the gospel being proclaimed right under Caesar's nose. I mean, how much better could it get than that? So I thought that was an interesting little tidbit there for you. As you look at the book of Acts and the book of Luke, maybe to help you see it a little bit differently. And you'll see that the charge statement, Jesus is Lord, to us, that's not a big deal. It's almost like a religious statement to us today. But to people in the first century that was very subversive, it's very political, it could get you killed. If you go back and think of, of the Roman Empire and how they operated, Caesar could intervene in religious matters. He could be the final voice. So if you had some type of religious dispute, Caesar was the last word. But now we're seeing that Caesar is no longer the last word. Jesus Christ is the last and final word. Well, I hope this reading and this understanding has helped build you up in your faith as we realize that the, the bread of life comes to the house of bread and he's born in a feeding trough. He's going to give his life for us. And it begins with this, what we would think, all-powerful ruler of, of this world making a, a decree. But in the very end, when this story ends, in sacred scripture, we'll have the gospel of the true king, Jesus Christ, being proclaimed right under the nose of Caesar in its own backyard. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day, a great weekend, and I would love for you to join us back on Monday as we look at our psalm again. God bless.